we try to talk about having one smart goal for our product and really being able to say, okay, specific, measurable, attainable, re- realistic, and time-bound, mm-hmm. adding those to that layer so that we can make it really concrete and say, all right, is this the goal that we're trying to achieve, right? And being able to draw that vision, that then becomes our North Star that we can align everything else behind, right? And then we go from that goal, that North Star, to really saying, okay, if that's a North Star, how do we know whether we're moving towards it or yeah. away from it, mm-hmm. right? And that's where we get into some of our, our KPIs or our key metrics, but that allows us to say, okay, here's the vision with our goal. Here are the measures by which we're going to know whether we're moving closer to it or away from it. And then we use that in, in really all of our decision-making moving forward. Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sophion Chief Evangelist. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Glad you could join us again. Hope you're all having a great summer out there and uh, getting some time to relax and enjoy the weather while it's nice. My guest today is Brian Utes, and Brian is currently the Director of Product Management at Sophion. But as you'll find out as we talk a little bit, he's uh, he's had some neat experiences before coming to Sophion as well. So, uh, Brian, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me, Paul. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, where are you joining us from? Uh, I am in a lovely suburb just outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. You got a summer there? We do. Summers are absolutely beautiful here. You endure the winter and you get rewarded with a lovely summer where everything is green and uh, lots of play on the river and, and lakes nearby. So really yeah. good times here in yeah. the summer. Yeah, for those that maybe aren't familiar from other countries, there's three rivers there, aren't there? Yep, the uh, Monong- you're going to put me on the spot here. Uh, <laughs> the, the Allegheny, the Monongahela, and those two come together to form the Ohio River. Okay, yeah. Okay, well, Brian, thanks for joining us. You know, I um, I think it'd be fun to just mention a little bit of your background. So, you know, in product management, how did you get started in product management? Yeah, about, oh man, over a decade ago, I was working as a a business analyst for a major company called FIS, and they do financial software for some of the world's largest FIs. And the more I got into the business analyst piece, the more I started asking, well, why do we do things this way? And who's the customer here? And wouldn't it work better if we had this? And as I started to ask those questions, I started to do a little bit more research on, okay, well, what does that job look like? Like who makes those decisions uh, and how do they go about making those decisions, right? And that's where I kind of was exposed to the the field or, or the profession of product management. I was lucky enough after that to get a product management role with another organization in, I was living in Jacksonville, Florida at the time. Uh, so I worked for a company in Jacksonville, Florida that was in the prepaid space and I got to work on a lot of exciting new initiatives with them, but it was a really cool first product role and got to immediately start working on mobile apps because it was a smaller organization mm-hmm. and those were kind of new. And as the, the new guy on the block, you know, I got a chance to go in and create business cases for those and 
really talk about the lifetime value of customers and, and di dissect different segments. So that really allowed me an opportunity to, to see a lot of different aspects of product management very, very early on in my career, which was a, a nice thing. I know you had a stint. It's, it's uh, not secret because it's on your LinkedIn bio, but you were at Dick's Sporting Goods, which is yet a, a different type of business, right? Yeah, it's, that's probably one of the most fun aspects of product management, in, in my opinion, right? You can work on things that are purely soft products or maybe software or service design all the way to, to hardline products, right? And, and we see it with our customers in CPG and, and aluminum and all of these wonderful, wonderful spaces. But at the end of the day, you're still trying to solve for that, that customer need, right? You're trying to solve for those customer pain points and really adding value as much as you can. But yeah, I had an opportunity to work for Dick Sporting Goods. It worked out well because I'm from Pittsburgh and they gave me the opportunity to get back here and be closer to family. Uh, but I worked in their retail space, again, on their, their mobile apps and really got a chance to work on some different initiatives. So I've had been blessed to work in a lot of the, the innovative spaces of where I've been, right? Even my time at Citibank, getting a chance to work on proof of concepts with Bluetooth beacons and what they were doing there. So, you know, it's a, a very, very cool role and plays really, really well whenever I think about what we do here at Sofion and what our customers are trying to do as far as adding value, innovating, and really trying to solve new problems. It's a, a nice overlay of those three things. Yeah. And you mentioned, you mentioned this, you know, some of them were digital products and then physical products. And I, you know, I think uh, product management as a discipline, as a uh, thing to do, uh, how does it differ or does it differ in what ways between, let's say, pure digital products versus physical products? Yeah, I think, uh, I think every role has its differences in, in product management, even going from one digital product to another, right? When, when you start looking at the things that I was doing in consumer retail mobile apps at Dick's Sporting Goods and, and what I'm doing today here at Sofion, they're still digital products, right? But they serve very different audiences and, and very different needs. I think that's where most of the differences come from, right? It's, it's who is your audience, who, what needs do they have, but the core disciplines of product management of really getting down to those needs and really looking at you know, what we refer to as, as the six questions of who, what, when, where, why, and how, you know, those are really the six things that you have to solve for and build a business case around, uh, whether you're, you're doing a, a mobile app product management design, or you're working on, you know, the, the next great chip that you're bringing out to store shelves everywhere. So I think there's a lot more similarity than there is differences between product management and how mm -hmm. it's done. Mm -hmm. I know that um, because of some of your background and you've, you've come in, I know you've spent a lot of time talking to a, a bunch of different companies uh, while you've been at Sofion studying what's similar, what's different, what are those uh, core, to use a phrase you've used with me before, jobs to be done, right? And so if you think about it, I mean, what have you found in that, in that study that you've been doing? 
you know, it's this wonderful mishmash uh, of jobs. And I, I can pull up the, <laughs> I should have pulled up the report before I, I joined, but there's aspects of project management. There's aspects of research and really understanding personas that, that you're developing things for. And then there's another huge aspect of, of kind of communicating or managing stakeholders, right? And, and how do you get the rest of the organization on board with what you're trying to do? For example, a lot of uh, early product management people that come into the digital space think of product management through the, the lens of Marty Kagan, who wrote an amazing book on, on product management called Inspired. And he has his you know, Venn diagram of business, UX, and development. And then the, the you know, famous arrow in the middle of that Venn diagram that says, you're here. Right. And even uh, when I talked about it with the organization, I I said, you know, this is what we think of as product management early on. If you take, you know, UX and development, you can swap those things out and it kind of translates to different industries. So maybe it's marketing and R&D and that'll translate very well to like the chemical industry, for example. But at the end of the day, you kind of think of those three. Well, Lo and behold, that's one piece of it, and that's probably who you spend the most time with. But then there's all of these other stakeholders around that you still have to manage, whether it's security, whether it's operations, whether it's support, whether it's legal. You know, there's multiple other areas that you need to go make sure everybody understands what's going in and, and how it fits and how it benefits the organization because the worst thing you can do is get to the 11th hour of a product launch and then have legal come in and say like, oh, by the way, what you're doing violates a lot of different <laughs> regulations and you actually can't do that at all. Yeah. Uh, and so there, there's that aspect of just stakeholder management on top of everything else that you're trying to do to bring value to your customers. And so that's a really exciting part of the role is you just you get to work with a lot of different parts of the organization. Yeah, I know the stakeholder side of the the people in the organization who put up the funding, right? Certainly, uh, they're expecting a return on that investment. Yep. But then you have you have other people like sales who have a lot of needs. They have a lot of demands, right? They they they're sitting there saying, "Oh, but if we just do this one thing, I can get this deal." Right? How, how do you deal with that? Going back to your your previous question, we talk a lot about the jobs to be done. Right. And so when a, a feature request comes in or when those topics come up, we really do try to drive back down to kind of those those six questions and really get to, well, why do they want this feature? Mm-hmm. Why are they asking for that button to be red instead of yellow or whatever it may be? Right. And that's where we can kind of work with sales to say, like, okay, if we really understand the why, if we really understand the job that they're trying to accomplish we can then start to have a a conversation if it's on the roadmap, when it's coming on the roadmap. If it's not on the roadmap, why not, right? Maybe we already have something that does that job well enough. Maybe that job isn't really in our spectrum of of where we see our value being added, right? So those are typically the conversations that we'll have with sales. We love to get in front of the customers to have that hear from them firsthand and just say, hey, you know, walk me through what you're doing, what, you know, how this came up. Talk to me a little bit about the process. Tell me how you do this today and really start to understand those things, right? One of the things that we talk a lot about is 
when we see our products competing, we see them competing not only with those digital assets that they're competing with, but we also see them competing with notepads and whiteboards and sticky mm, notes and yeah. all of those things that you want to think of as a traditional competitor, but they're really doing the same job that our, our software is doing. And so by taking that jobs to be done lens, we can start to say, okay, where are the substitutes, right? How do they do this if they're doing it just with sticky notes? And we can learn from that and make sure that that learning comes into the next iteration of the product. Yeah. And you talk about, you talked about UX in there and that is so fundamentally critical. I was just in an executive meeting. We did it a few times uh, virtually. And one of the things we do in the meeting when we're brainstorming is everybody thinks of a few things and writes them down in a, in a sticky note and then, uh, you know, puts them up so everybody can see them. And then you try to organize them, group them. And, you know, we did that virtually uh, as we had to for uh, during the, uh, the pandemic. And it was okay. I mean, we were struggling with it, but just last week we did it. We did it live physically together and it was so much better. Uh, so much smoother, <laughs> so much faster. And it just speaks to the challenge was the UX in the virtual world where we tried to do it. I mean, we used the wrong tool, whatever, but, but it's so critical that that be right. And that not be the barrier yeah. for the job we were trying to do. Yeah. It's funny. I, uh, in my last role, I've was lucky enough to have uh, a team of, I think, 11 different designers who would run workshops like that, right? Would run design workshops and facilitation workshops. And it was really interesting because I started in the role before the pandemic and then the pandemic hit and we had to change everything. Okay, we were you went the other way. Yeah. From a facilitation standpoint, right? We were getting 40, 50 people in a room and going through these workshops for half a day and then letting them go, we'd synthesize everything and then bring them back the next day. And then the whole thing had to change, right? And so to your point, how you uh, can bring that, that same feeling to those types of workshops is, is really, really complicated. Uh, and the tools have come a long way, right? Obviously with tools like Mural and others, it has come a, a really long way from when we started but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's very, very difficult to run those types of design workshops virtually and get that, that same feeling. Yeah, and, and the right tool or the wrong tool can make a huge difference, right? Oh, yeah. A lot of us work for companies, corporations and whatnot, where uh, these are the tools you use, right? And yeah, you might say, oh, I'll just pick on Microsoft Teams. Uh, it has a capability to manage a certain type of, of workflow or workflow interaction. And it, it does it okay, but it doesn't do it great. And it's that edge between okay and great that can really give you a lot of trouble. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we always talk about when, when it comes to, to UX and, and some of the applications that we're, we're building, going back to that job idea, the job is the sporting event right? Like you want people to be able to get the job done. And we always talk about the, the technology and the UX can be a really bad referee at one of those events. <laughs> and yeah. no matter how good the event was, <laughs> right. you know, if it comes down to the last out or it comes down to the last minute and there's a terrible call that goes the wrong way and changes the entire dynamic of the game, it can ruin <laughs> that the really good experience game. really yeah. fast. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we, we tend to 
make sure that we think of it as, you know, make sure the referee isn't what people talk about at the end of the game. Yeah, right. so let's just let everybody enjoy the game. Yeah. One of the things you had, you had said, Hey, might be worth talking about a little bit is the idea of, of a product goal or goals and, 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 and what do you do with those goals? So I just share some of your thoughts about that. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you bringing that up. This is probably the, the biggest key that different product managers find throughout their career. Right. And, and some of them are, are lucky enough to realize it on day one and, and get behind the whole idea of being outcome driven. Unfortunately, outcomes are, are not always what product managers are graded on, right? Sometimes they're graded yeah. just on the outputs. Let's you know, make sure your release is full, make sure I'm getting a new feature out, make sure you on know, time. whatever it may be. Yeah. yeah, exactly. On time, on budget, uh, which are great things, right? It, there's, there's tremendous value in that. But at the end of the day, I think the biggest question that product management has to, to answer has to be able to really draw a vision behind is why, right? And the the story that I always use when I talk to my product managers about it, and, and even when we talk to dev teams and, and others in the organization, is really that story of the three Masons, right? And you get the first Mason who says, oh, I'm just laying bricks. You know, this is backbreaking work. I'm out in the sun all day. It's hot. I go home. I'm tired. My body aches. Okay, great. Let's move on to the next one. The next one says, oh, you know, it's hard work, but I'm out in, in the fresh air. You know, sun's shining on me today. I get to provide for my family. We're building this wall. When we're done with this wall, we'll go to another wall. And you say, okay, that's great. And then you finally go to the last mason, and the last mason says, oh, man, you know, I'm here building this cathedral, right? And this cathedral is going to be this meeting place for our entire village and our entire town to come together and, and to celebrate together and to mourn together and to have political discourse together. And for generations upon generations upon generations, this is going to be the heartbeat of our community, right? So we use that all the time talking about why, right? And if we can get our entire organization to understand they're not laying bricks, they're not building walls, we're really building cathedrals, then we're able to get people to understand kind of the vision for where we're trying to go. And that's where those goals come into to play. Right. And we try to talk about having one smart goal for our product and really being able to say, OK, you know, specific, measurable, attainable, re realistic and time bound. Mm -hmm. Adding those to that layer so that we can make it really concrete and say, all right, is this the goal that we're trying to achieve? Right. And being able to draw that vision that then becomes our North star that we can align everything else behind. Right. And then we go from that goal, that North star to really saying, okay, if that's a North star. How do we know whether we're moving towards it or yeah. away from it? Mm -hmm. Right. And that's where we get into some of our, our KPIs or our key metrics, uh, key performance indicators is the KPI for anybody that isn't familiar with that acronym, but that allows us to say, okay, here's the vision with our goal. Here are the measures by which we're going to know whether we're moving closer to it or away from it. And then we use that in, in really all of our decision-making moving forward to say, hey, when, when we have to do this trade-off, what do we think it's driving, right? From not just from a, a business standpoint, but from a customer standpoint, what's the value we're adding? 
and what behavior does that change for the customer? So that's really why we feel goals are, are so important and so critical when it comes to product management, not only to make sure you're on track, but also to really get people excited and get people aligned behind why this is so important, right? We see it. We're dealing with the Great Recession. We're or the Great uh, uh, Resignation. Resignation. We got, sure. We got through, we got through the Let's Great Recession. Let's hope the Great Recession's not coming. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. We've we've done one of those already. Um, but we're we're dealing with the Great Resignation, and and a lot of it is just people being burnt out, right? And, and not knowing, not finding that purpose, and having the goal behind your product really allows you to instill that purpose in your whole team. Uh, which is absolutely critical for your success and for team success. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that if you don't understand the purpose, you don't understand that North Star, uh, it's hard to get to get aligned, hard to feel like you fit in. And yeah, I mean, it's just you're lacking something. I think that's why people, one of the reasons people change jobs is they're lacking something, right? And uh I think if they don't understand that, you you called it a smart goal. I, I heard that word smart goal. What did you mean by that? Yeah, so smart's an acronym. A lot of people will use it as they go to like annual planning for you know their business goals or, or whatever it may be. You may deal with it in in your HR system, but but it really comes down to that acronym being specific. So don't have a, a vague goal. Mm -hmm. uh, a measurable goal, being able to say, okay, I can quantifiably say, yes, we've met the goal or no, we haven't. Attainable, which is, can we actually get there with what we have today? Realistic right. kind of plays into that too. And then time bound. So really saying, hey, by this date is when we look to achieve it. And, and to give one example from my past, right? We were really trying to drive uh, a behavior of getting out and talking to customers. And so that was the behavior we were trying to drive, but being able to say, okay, our goal is to talk to customers this year. All right, that doesn't really help us. Right? <laughs> but being able to say, hey, each month we're going to meet with X amount of customers and have you know, X amount of insights from those sessions, that really allowed us to say, all right, are those things measurable? Are those things attainable? Do we feel like this is realistic? And then really be able to align ourselves behind that to hold ourselves accountable right? and say, if we're not doing it, is it really something that should be our goal, right? Uh, do we need to reevaluate those types of things? Yeah, and I think attainable is a, is a key feature that a lot of people gloss over, right? It's easy to say, okay, it's easy to hit tick the other boxes and everybody says, oh yeah, we can do it. But a lot of times organizations don't have, and I don't want to say resources and people are thinking about human resources, but whatever type of resource it is, uh, be, can you really do it? Can you, can you really attain that goal? I think is one that needs more focus. Uh, we had a couple guests recently talk about that same issue, right? That, uh, it's easy to do everything else and just just ignore or gloss over the the really practical piece of you might have the best idea, the best thing possible, but if you really can't do it, then, then you're wasting your time chasing it. So I, I like that attainable in there. Yeah, and you might, I mean, there's different versions of it. There, there might be actionable. Some people may go back sure. to that one, yeah. which is fine. They're relevant instead of realistic, but the those are the ones that we've kind of yeah. landed on to 
Good. Our definition is smart. Your definition. Yeah. Now, how many goals should a product have? Is it one? Is it seven? Is it limited? Is it? Yeah, that's that's a great question, and it's um, <laughs> it's oddly enough something we're debating right now. <laughs> my my perspective is there should be one north star. Yeah. Right. Um, there should be one thing that you're able to coalesce under, and say, all right. We may have sub goals. We may have sub milestones that we want to achieve that really get us here. But it, to me, having that one goal or that one vision is extremely critical because the second you introduce multiple, you start to introduce tension, right? Personal story from, from my brief life here as a, as a parent, two of my kids have accommodative esotropia. Basically, what it means is when they start to look at something close up, one of their eyes drifts inward, right, and starts to look a little bit cross-eyed. And so when we started talking to doctors about this, we started asking a bunch of questions. And, and one of the things they said is, well, they're doing that because sight is the only sense that you actually have to learn, right? You have muscles in your eyes that control and focus differently if you're looking at something far away versus close up. So as they're pulling it in, they start to get double vision, right? And so that their eye starts to drift to try to make up for that. The danger there is that if they live with this double vision for too long, their brain can't make sense of it, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And so eventually the brain starts to say, all right, if I can't make sense of this, I need to shut one of these off, right? And they can lose eyesight in one of their eyes. Uh, luckily, you know, Science is amazing. Um, they've had glasses. They both have surgery. They can both see very, very well now. But I think there's a lot of corollaries in business and in product management, right? Idea behind the prefix die is two, right? And when you look at two visions, you end up with division, right? Right. And so when you start to have more than one vision or have more than one goal, you can really start to tug in a lot of different directions uh, and it can create a lot of trade-offs or a lot of conversations that don't get the most value out of your product, right? It's really hard to say, okay, with these two visions, we've got to figure out a way to fulfill both right. of them. So that's, that's where I kind of land on it. I think there's got to be that one overarching holistic North Star that you can say, hey, let's all have a clear vision of what this is going to be. And then we can all march to it rather than trying to have multiple goals or multiple visions out there. Yeah. And what about changing that that goal as you as you learn as or as business evolves? Yeah, I absolutely think it, it changes. Mm -hmm. um, we, we talk about how depending on where you are on the product life cycle, Right. You may have a very different goal if you're early on and you're trying to, to really maximize exposure. If you're trying to maximize market share, that may have a very different strategic goal than if you're in a cash cow state and you're just trying to make sure that other competitors aren't entering into your space. Right. right? The, the biggest thing that I try to make sure of is anytime that we're having those conversations about does the goal need to change? We start looking at, okay, well, what's driving it, right? Is it a strategic thing that we're saying, hey, we're moving from this phase to that phase 
is there a new competitor in the market? Is something changed in the marketplace that's really enforced that we have to change our strategy, have to change our goal? And then once we make that decision and we develop that, that new vision, we then go back to those KPIs and those key metrics and we say, okay, are these still the right KPIs, right? If I'm early stage and I'm looking at maximizing market share, acquisition is a huge thing for me, right? Profit margin is not. Well, once I get into cash cow status or once I'm trying to maximize my profits, then profit absolutely becomes a major KPI for me. I need to start to look at that KPI differently than when I did when I was trying to acquire new customers, right? There were trade-offs I was willing to make as I grew that now I'm past that growth stage and I'm saying, okay, maybe I'm not as comfortable with those trade-offs. I need to look at this a little differently, put a little more weight on my margins than I was previously. Sure. Yeah, so I think my takeaway from that is it's okay to have the goal change. Don't miss it. Don't be so fixated on it that you, you when the time to change comes, you miss it. Be thoughtful, be thorough, right? Redo the KPIs, understand what the measurements are for the new goal. And then uh, obviously the, 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 the last piece that popped in my mind as you were going through that is then go tell the stakeholders, right? It's back to managing <laughs> those stakeholders again. What? You change it. You, you can't do that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's um, in product and, and innovation, uh, that change management piece is, is huge, right? And, and getting stakeholders bought into the change is a, a critical, critical thing. There was a, a great um, great article that I saw where it kind of laid out that framework of you know how to have those conversations. Mm-hmm. And they just drew this two by two uh, matrix and they said, you know, start with what's good about the current and then move to what's hard about the change, go to what's good about the change and go back to what's the danger of the current, current right, or what's yeah. broken mm-hmm. with the current. Mm-hmm. Um, but you just find yourself going through that cycle over and over again every time you're talking through any type of innovation because innovation is inherent change management, right? And so it's it's a fascinating, fascinating world. Yeah, and it's so important to do that. I, I would say if you're not up for managing that kind of change, talking to people, bringing them along, helping them, them uh you know, get on the new course of, of the of the ship. Yeah, I mean that's a fundamental thing that a product a good product manager has to do. And I've yeah. seen the great ones just do it really well. So Yeah, absolutely. Even innovation managers, right? Yeah. When you talk about, hey, we're gonna change this process or, or we're gonna bring this new thing to market, it inherently puts things at risk, right? It in, inherently uh, endangers current status quo. And so being able to talk through that and and make people comfortable with it is going to be a key to to everybody's success, right? It's just not everybody can be Uber and just punch through the taxi wall. (laughs) Yeah. Well, a lot of people tried and didn't make it, right? So Uber might have made it, but there were a lot of failures before Uber. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Brian, it's been a fun conversation. I uh, I don't know if there's any kind of last minute thoughts that uh, maybe going into this. You said, "Oh, I'd like to talk about that." Did we did we miss anything that was on your mind for today? Uh, nothing major that was on the mind, right? I, I think this has been a really fun conversation, and I I always enjoy 
being able to talk a little bit about the struggles and, and challenges of product management. And there's a lot of similarities in those struggles with innovation managers and our customers. So, you know, it, it's nice to be surrounded by uh, like-minded folks that, that also have to deal with similar struggles. So thank you again for having me. I appreciate being on. Great, great. If people want to kind of connect with you, what's the best way to, to kind of find you? Probably the best way is uh, through LinkedIn. Uh, I'm out on LinkedIn through my Sophion email as well. Feel free to reach out to me there. I'm not huge on Twitter. I'm not huge in, uh, yeah. on TikTok or anything like that. But, you know, the traditional LinkedIn and, and business email is, is a great way to connect. Excellent. With good, good. Well, Brian, thanks again, and, and uh, you know, have a great week. And, uh, yeah, let's touch base again maybe later this year. On, there's so many other things I'm sure we could talk about. So <laughs> love to have you back. That sounds great. All right, good. Thanks, Paul. Great talking with you. Yep, take care. And to you, our, our listeners, I hope you enjoyed that. Certainly, if you're, if you're listening to that and you said, you know what, I, I, I'd love to ask Brian a question, feel free to reach out to him. We'll put the links in the show notes so you know how to do that. And I wish you all a great week ahead. Thanks for joining us. Take care, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com.